Welcome to Disciple City Church Podcast. My name is Jerry Wagner, founder and lead pastor of Disciple City Church in Dallas, Texas. Thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast. Our desire is to unleash healthy disciple makers in West Dallas to reach the world. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can listen to new messages each week. Thank you and have a God-filled day. Eternal Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your truth. I pray, Father God, that you would give me um, the truth that you have caused to change me. And as it has changed me, I pray, Father God, that it would touch the hearts of the men and women that you have entrusted to us here today. God, you are worthy to be praised. And because you are worthy to be praised, Father, we take your word and exalt you. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray that all the saints say, Amen. You may be seated in the presence of God. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. How was you all Sabbath? Anybody had a good Sabbath? All right. Holler out some of the things you did on the Sabbath. Uh, somebody went home. What else? What is it? Swing? Sleep. That's not Sabbath, but do you think? <laughs> no, that's, that's rest. That's rest. Some of you all need to catch up on rest because you do work hard. And Lisa Ogaday is one of those persons who work hard. Amen. All right. Ecclesiastes chapter five. We're going to be looking at verses one through five, uh, one through seven. I'm sorry, one through seven. And um, last week or the week before last, we talked about worshiping of me and we wanted to make sure that you left this place being more focused on we and not me but oftentimes the issue is that we are so concerned about self-advancement or wealth that we conflict with our neighbor or what Kohelet the preacher would have said we so chapter 5 continues that theme of worship but instead of him talking about worshiping me, he now begins to talk about worshiping God. Let me say something to you real quick. If you do not worship God, you will worship other things. Like you cannot get away from worship. Everything that you do is an act of worship to the object or the person who is in your life. In other words, be very careful about how you work and what you labor because your passion sometimes can be your idol and your God and you can begin to worship them. I was listening to this preacher the other day talk about worship and he said he was overwhelmed by the reality that men do not worship. And the reason why he was overwhelmed by that reality is because when we are in a worship gathering men oftentimes are like this stoic unmovable he says but let you give a man a car he begins to worship his car as he washes it in fact every Sunday going down my street I see brothers out there worshiping by washing their car a very temporal object but you, you never catch it dirty in fact, he says, men might not worship in a gathering, but let them go to a football game. 
not only will they worship, but they were saying worship songs, right? He, he used this illustration referring to soccer, right? In soccer, you see that? He, when I say Jesus, he like, God bless you. When, it, when I say soccer, they sing songs like, oh, how do you say it? See, look at that. See, look, look at it. Look at it. Like, we are designed to worship, all right? But you need to be very careful what you're worshiping because oftentimes we're worshiping objects and not God. And so Moses, I, I want to take you all the way back to a scripture that I referenced um, two weeks ago, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I want to take you to the place where the children of Israel were getting ready to go into the promised land as they were on the brink of the Jordan River. In fact, these particular brothers, these Israelites, have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because of their dis disobedience. However, there was a generation who believed God. And as they get ready to go into the promised land, Moses has a sermon that he wants to preach to them titled the Shema. All right. The Shema. Most of you all have heard of the Shema, right? The Shema is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, and it reads as follows. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You should teach them diligently to your children. You should talk of them when you sit down in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your head, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. The reason why I love this passage is because if you were to come into my home, you will see scriptures on doorposts. If you were to walk into my house, you will begin to see scriptures on doors. You, you will see scriptures on, uh, on, on paintings. Because I and my wife took this scripture literally. Because we wanted our children to run into the scriptures as they're going out of the house and as they're coming into the house. And so, why is Moses preaching this sermon to a believing generation? Well, I think the reason why Moses is preaching this to a believing generation is because Moses understands something about Israel that I think is also true of us, and that is our hearts drift and our worship towards God is divided. He's reminding them of the promise that God has given them and because he knows that our hearts are prone to wonder, he says, I'm going to remind you more than I'm going to instruct you. And so he goes on to say that the reason why I'm telling you all this is because we all have this propensity to wonder towards places, towards people, towards positions, and also towards desires that oftentimes lead us to worship. In fact, six chapters later in Deuteronomy chapter 11, 
Moses commands Israel again to love and to serve the Lord, but he warns them. And this is the warning. He says, take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods. Now watch this. And you worship them. See, all of us are prone to worship things other than God. And the problem with our proneness to worship other things and our hearts drifting towards other things is that we serve a God who is undivided. Like we serve a God who is unmovable. In fact, the, verse, the first words in, verse, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is, the Lord our God, the Lord is, watch this, he's one. He's whole, he's complete, and he is not pulled in different directions. In fact, because God is not divided, he seeks undivided worshipers. Because he's not divided and because he is whole, he says, I'm not going to allow you to bring your fractured worship to me. You cannot just casually worship a God who is steadfast. And he says, because I'm unmovable, I want you to be unmovable. What do I mean by the word undivided? Well, it simply means this. Complete, not fragmented, and given of oneself entirely. That's the type of worship that God requires of this believing generation. Now I got to be honest. When I think about my worship, it is not complete. In fact, my worship is oftentimes compartmentalized. Oftentimes my worship, I recognize in myself, is not complete. I like to ration and fraction how I'm going to worship God. Can I get, just get one witness on that? I'm not, I, I, I think I'm not the only person who says, when I look at my worship, there are certain things that I'm willing to do before God, and there are certain things that I won't do before God. And then I come to God with my hands out saying, will you do this for me? Here's how this works. We get to a point where we can give our strength to God by fixing something in the church or um, by serving in a short-term mission trip. But all the while we're doing those things, our hearts are far from him. Anybody been there before? Like, we can get to a point where we give our minds to God. We, we give our minds to God by going to church services. We give our mind to God by listening to multiple podcasts and listening to spiritual music. But at the core of our beings, we know that love for God with a heart and soul is oftentimes absent. Can I, can I get a little on that one? All right? Watch this. We feel dry. Like you come in and out of church, but you leave the same way you came in. Even I don't care how good the songs are, I don't care how great the sermons are, you still feel the same way. Another way is um, when God, when you're walking through this type of life, God feels distant, right? And not only does God feel distance, but having a real and rejuvenated relationship with him feels out of reach. 
there was this Indian and this businessman walking in the city. And the, the Indian said to the businessman, do you hear that? And the businessman said, well, I hear cars and stuff like, but where, where are you? He's like, no, that's not what I'm talking about. They kept walking, they kept walking, and, and the Indian asked him again, do you hear that? And the businessman like, what are you talking about? He said, do you hear the cricket? He said, we in downtown New York. What do you, I hear cars and horns being blown. I, I don't hear a cricket. And, and they kept going back and forth. Do you hear that? And then the Indian looked to the right of him, and he went over there and picked up this cricket and said, see, did you hear that? And the businessman said, how did you hear all of that in the midst of all this noise? He says, because I'm in tune with nature. He says, watch this. He pulled out some change and he dropped it on the floor, uh, on the ground. And everybody that was walking around him turned and was looking for the money. He says, what you're tuned into is also what you worship. All right? See, the reason why you feel dry and absent and distant from God is because your frequency between you and God is off. And because your frequency is off, you hear the worst things about God and not him working out your salvation in and through you. <laughs> this, one, this one is real for me because I'm navigating through a, 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 a world where, dude, every moment I'm, I'm in either some hospital, I'm either in some fight, I'm going through all these different things, and I'm trying to fight to make sure that I'm in tune with the God of the universe. And if I'm honest with you all, the moment that my frequency is not in line with the God who is above, I go crazy. That's why you have no peace even though you're sleeping. That's why your home still feels like you're in captivity because you don't feel at peace. Because you do realize that your citizenship isn't here on earth your citizenship is in heaven. And when you're not aligned with the kingdom principles of God, watch this, you lack worship. Your worship is divided. And so how do we avoid this divided worship towards God? Well, Kohelet says two profound pieces of wisdom. And then at the end of this sermon, he gives one final conclusion. And the wisdom pieces that he gives, he says, if you want to avoid this divided act of worship, he says, I need you to do two things. Listen and speak. Listen and speak. He says, before you speak out, you need to listen up. Before you open up your mouth, you need to find your, your frequency and listening to the God of the universe. Our problem is that we do before we rightly divide the word of truth. Instead of asking God, what did you say? We oftentimes go to someone else or to some search engine and say, what did it say? And he says, when you do that, what you begin to do is you speak before you listen. And when you speak before you listen, you run the risk of doing more harm in your worship than good. We tell this to our children all the time. 
Hush your mouth and listen. One of my daughters, man, she, man, man, she quick with her mouth. And what makes it hard is I am too. And so sometimes I don't like to rebuke her because I see myself in her. Daddy, you know, and, and she be popping off. I'm like, who are you talking to? God feels like that sometimes. When he's trying to say something to you, you're so busy talking that you're not listening to what he is saying to you. That's why your prayer life feels muddled and muffled. You ever pray and you can't get through a prayer? Come on now. You, you ever pray and you're so distracted that you forget what you were praying about? You know why? Because you're more concerned about the daily wrestlings of your life than the one who can fix it. And it begins to divide your worship with God. You know what I had to do? Because my mind is so cluttered, I have a dry eraser marker in my bathroom. And when thoughts start popping in my head, I pull out the, race, um, the marker and I just write on the bathtub. Money. Health church I can't stand that person like I just put it all the way down like the list <laughs> I didn't say their name I just said it's a person it might be you you might be sitting in here <laughs> here's the problem the reason why I think this is profound to listen and to speak is because we live in a generation where our digital eyes are constantly being drawn right we live during a time that our, our ears are bombarded by so many different voices. In other words, we want to look and speak more than we want to listen to the person and the word of God. And I know there are so many images and so many voices. Like I, I'm not getting on you for doing these things. All I'm saying is before you listen to someone else, you should ask God what he has said on the matter and what he is telling you to do about the matter that he is speaking on. Isn't that simple in life? Like, what if we got to a point that the first person that we talk to is God? And then when God tells us what to do, we do it. But that's not how it always goes, is it? We do go to God first. But after we have already tried to work it out ourselves. And then what we really want from God is him to fix what we broke. And then when he begins to fix what we broke, we begin to tell him how to fix it. You know, God, I wouldn't I really wouldn't do it like that. Yeah, I, yeah, you sure we're going in this direction? And God is looking at you like, bro, you just came to me because you jacked all this stuff up. And if you would have just listened to me first, you wouldn't be in the mess that you're in right now. It's called divided worship. And so I took that long way to explain where Kohelet is going is because my hope, just like Kohelet's hope is, that you leave this place not a divided worshiper, but an undivided worshiper who gives themselves wholeheartedly to God, his mind, his heart, and his soul. And so the first thing I think is important is when you look at this passage, I want to read one verse and then we're going to unpack seven of them. Verse seven, I want to read that one. It says, for when dreams increase and words grow, there is vanity, 
But God is the one, watch this, you must fear. Underline that in your Bible. That is the concluding thought. And everything that Kohelet is about to say, he's going to say the very thing that you must do is fear God. All right? So let's start here. Undivided worshipers listen to God. Undivided worshipers, those who completely give themselves, listens to God. In verse 1, it says this, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Why? For they do not know that they are doing evil. Kohelet the preacher starts with this idiom, like he starts with this figure of speech by, speech by saying, guard your step. Another way of saying it is to say, watch how you step to God. Now, when I translated that, I immediately went back to my hood. I was like, dude, anytime someone says to you, watch how you step to me, that means it is a right way and a wrong way to approach them. Is anybody else from that hood? If anyone comes up to you, I'm like, hold on, bro. Watch how you step to me. Watch how you handle me. That means there is danger around the corner if you misstep towards this person. What Kohelet is saying is also what the hood says. Watch how you step towards God. Because there is a way to approach him. And the way you choose and the method that you choose has high consequences and high repercussions. Oh my goodness. I, I'm, does, that, does that strike any fear in someone's house, heart that you can step to God and it be wrong? See, we don't talk about the God of the universe like that because we want him to be our friend. We, we want him to like us, like Jesus is so great. No, you have to approach God with reverence. Think about it. Remember when Moses first encountered God in the burning bush? The bush was burning. Moses finally responded to the burning of this bush that was not being consumed. And as he got to God, he heard this voice and the voice says, take off your shoes. Because where you are walking is holy ground. He had on sandals, y'all. That's like three quarters of material. And he was still too high to approach God. You cannot just walk up on God casually without him looking at you and saying, watch how you step to me. Kohelet the preacher is telling religious worshipers, remember, it's saying they're walking to the house of God, right? The house of God for them was the temple. The house of God for us is wherever his presence dwell. In other words, you don't just come to church in the presence of God. When you leave this building, you're still in the presence of God. And yet, we compartmentalize our worship and say, when I'm in church, I don't cuss. But when I'm outside of church, man, my lips are all over the place. I remember playing basketball and being on the court, and, and I rarely, if ever, tell a person that I'm a pastor because I'm more concerned about sharing the gospel than them knowing my position. And the moment they find out that I'm a pastor, they stop doing some of the things that they were already doing before they knew it. 
Like they were cussing, crossing people out, punching people or whatever. But the moment they see that I'm a pastor, they're like, oh, pastor, my bad, bro, my, my bad. And I asked the guy one day, I said, it's funny, bro, like you apologize to me, but you won't apologize to the God who hears everything? And we do that. Like, we act a certain way around certain people, but God who sees all, oh, we just tear up. That's why you need to be honest in your prayer, because he already knows what you're thinking anyway. And so, Kohelet is telling religious leaders, when you walk in the house of God, or the presence of God, you better come correct. That's an old New York slang. In other words, there is a wise way and a foolish way to worship God. And what it is essentially communicating in this passage is that if you step to God in a very casual way, the consequences oftentimes are dire. So the question is, so how do we approach God? Write this word down, one word. Listen. Listen. Notice what it says. When you draw near to God, it is better to listen. The same word there, Shema, is also the word that he had in Deuteronomy. And oh, by the way, guess who else quoted this sermon, uh, this scripture? Jesus Christ. He says, I want you to learn how to listen. Now, the word listen has this double meaning, right? It means to listen with your ears, literally, and it means what you have heard be obedient in your response. In other words, the formula here is to listen, to learn, and to obey. To listen, to learn, and obey. When you are listening to God, it is not so that you can hear spiritual things and quote them and put them on Instagram with great filters. But we do that all the time with all these cute sayings, but when you look at your life, does what you say and what you do match? He says, learn how to listen. Because when you learn how to listen, then you can respond to obedience and what I am calling you to do. There's an old saying when you're building something. It says, measure twice, cut once. Anybody ever heard this before? Measure twice, cut once. What is that idiom saying? It's saying, I want you to be sure what you are seeing so you can apply the right application. I'm saying, read your Bible often so that you can respond to God correctly. You cannot just read your Bible once. And listen, I know people like, listen, we got to get away from just listening to all these recipes for how to have be intimate with God. It's not that hard to be intimate with God. To be intimate with God is to know him. In the same way you are intimate with your friend or with your spouse or with your community, it is getting to know them. How do you get to know God? In his revelatory word. And there's a lot of dope things about God in here. Like, man, I remember, and I, I, I'm so hood sometimes that I, I teach my girls hood stuff, and they don't know nothing about the hood. 
But in the book of Nehemiah, it says that Nehemiah got to a point where he was so angry with the people, it literally says this, that he put his hands on them. And so now my daughters, one of them, like, Daddy, you know what my favorite scripture is? Nehemiah putting his hands on people. Like, you ain't never been in a fight. Like, what are you talking about? But she didn't know. She did put her hands on somebody at KAA. But, you know, I ain't going to bring that up. She did. This girl was messing with her. Um, and I used to teach my girls jujitsu. And one of the principles of jujitsu is if you push me, I pull you. If I pull you, you push, right? In fact, your bones oftentimes are manipulated in jujitsu. And so I used to teach my girls at a very, very young age, bones don't bend like this. Elbows don't bend like this. And so one of my daughters was being bullied by someone at camp, and she did the typical protocol, right? She told a camp counselor, she told another counselor, and then the girl put her hands on her again, and my daughter grabbed her arm, had her bent like this and had her on the ground and like elbowed her and stuff and she got in trouble. I said, don't worry about that, daddy got your back, you know. Like, like, uh. <laughs> all I'm saying, all, <laughs> all I'm saying in the same way that uh, my daughter modeled at her, after her father, we should model after our father as well. But it starts with listening, all right? And so he goes on to say, our problem is that we are slow to listen, we are quick to speak, and we are quick to make promises we cannot keep. Like, I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but that's how it came out. Like, we are slow to speak, we are slow to listen, we're quick to speak, but we're, we, we make promises that we cannot keep. See, the reason why it is better to listen than it is to, to speak is because you run the risk of offering the sacrifice of fools and doing things that are evil, which are things that are in contrast to both the word of God and the will of God. See, the first thing that we do when we don't want to listen is that we do things that we think God wants us to do. Or we do things that we think will appease God. And watch this one. Or we do things and make promises to God that we cannot keep. See, that's what offering here in this passage literally means. It means either free will offering or vow offering. And in the Old Testament, when you made a vow or a free will offering, the response to it was you need to fulfill it. How many of us have made promises to God that we haven't kept? Uh, I didn't, that was rhetorical. <laughs> People, did I get on Tyree? I told you I was going to get him. Me and Tyree had a vet because I, I ask questions all the time. I, I call them slipping. It's a rhetorical question, but thank you for being honest, right? Like we make these promises to God that we cannot keep. And the reason we're doing that is because we do less listening and we think that our actions will make God love us more. God won't love you more if you do more stuff. God has already fully loved you. So why do you keep trying to do things for his acceptance? He loves you. And he wants you to listen to what he has to say. But our problem is oftentimes we get to this point where we begin to do things. And, and, and if I'm honest with us, when we begin to do things for his acceptance, 
we do more harm than good. In fact, in verse 2, it says this, when you do not listen, you rush with your mouth and you hurry with your heart. When you do not listen to God, you rush with your mouth and you hurry with your heart. Verse 2 says, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. When you are rash, it's another way of saying rush. And when you are hasty, it is another way of saying hurry. You see, undivided worship, worshipers will be slow to speak and quick to listen in the presence of God, while those divided worshipers are a fool and who is unrestrained, and watch this, they speak rationally. I love this part because this is a good translation. It says, when you are rushed and hurry, you shoot off your mouth and you speak before you think. I love that translation. Like when you are rushing, your mouth has no filter on it. And the first thing you do is you do what you think is right. You know what we call that in the biblical world? Getting ahead of God. Getting ahead of God. Any takers in here who, who, who likes to get ahead of God? Like, like you're so, you're talking so much that God can't get a word out, metaphorically speaking, and then God gets to a point where he does what most parents do, give you over to your, your, your talking. See, good parents know how to teach hard lessons to their children. I do it all the time, all right? See, Jaws likes to climb on couches. I keep telling him, do not climb on couches, Jaws. He's my son, for those who don't know who Jaws is. And he just keeps climbing on the couch. But then I learned a valuable lesson. Let him fall. Let him fall. The problem with Jaws is he falls and laughs. Like he's not learning the lesson. So my hope is that when you fall, you learn the lesson and not laugh it off because you're not listening to God. When you hurry and rush, what it does is it diminishes your heart towards God. And here's the, the kicker. When you hurry and rush, the preacher says that you try to control the situation. That's why in this verse it says, God is in heaven and you are on earth. In other words, God who is sovereign and in control of everything and you are not. But when you go before God, you think you're God and you think you are king and you build your own fortresses and all of a sudden you're asking God to intervene in your mess. He says, how much sense does it make for us to hurry? How much sense does it make for us to overtalk a God who knows all, who's not bound by time, who is eternal, and has your best interest at heart? You do know that God has your best interest at heart, right? You do know that God cares more about you than you care about yourself. 
See, these are the things that I'm trying to make sense of in my own life, right? Like, why would God give me and Tamara a special needs child? As much as we love our special needs child, it's hard. That's why it's hard for parents who have children with special needs to talk to people who don't. Because when we're talking to people who don't, they, they say like corny stuff like, man, oh, no, but God, God chose you to be the perfect parent. God knew that you would have this child and he knew that you would take care of them. And then when you ask them to watch your child, they're like, oh, I got something to do this week. I'm sorry. I, I got something to do this week. <laughs> Somebody said, I, I, all I'm saying is, or, or when we take jaws to certain places, parents or people around are always looking at him with that stare. Hmm. Is there something wrong with him? And sometimes being the parent that I am, I'm sitting there like, Tamara, if this person looks at Jaws one more time. We were in the hospital the other day and Jaws was just walking around and this woman says, ma'am, could you please keep your child away from us? I just left. I had to leave. Because if I didn't leave, I would have worshipped in a way that was not pleasing to God. You see what I'm saying? So I say that to say God is in control even in the midst of all this. And if he's not at the forefront of your mind, of your heart, of your soul, then what tends to happen is our hearts begin to drift and wonder and our worship goes towards something else. And so he ends verse 1 through 3 with this. Therefore, let your words be few. He says, a wise person will allow his words to be few and his ears to be open towards God. In fact, he ends in saying, overworks makes for restless sleep and overtalk shows that you are a fool. Therefore, listen. This is a simple principle, but it's profound. You can even look at it from a very objective um, vantage point. God has given us one mouth and two ears. And the reason why he's given us one mouth and two ears so that we may listen more and talk less. Now, if the way of true worshiping is listening and then learning and then being obedient, then how should we speak towards God? Well, the answer is simply this. Undivided worshipers speak to God with a simple yes or no. Undivided worshipers speak to God with a simple yes or no. Look at verses 4 through um, 6 real quick. And I'm almost out of your way. Verses 4 through 6 says this. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it. Why? For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Oh man, so much here. The reason why this passage is oftentimes hard is because we don't walk around using the word vow, right? The only time vows come up are when they are in formal settings. However, 
the principles in this passage are very simple. And here they are. First principle is when you tell God you're going to do something, watch this, do it. When you tell God that you're going to do something, the principle is simply do it. God does not deal in small talk. How many of us, someone has said they were going to do something and then they didn't do it? How did you feel when that happened? Are you still mad now? Some of y'all still upset now. Like, man, if I see them on the street, it's going to be a misunderstanding. Like, some of y'all are still upset by someone saying they're going to do something and they didn't do it. If you feel like that on earth, imagine how our God in heaven feels. And notice this. Our God in heaven gave us the greatest gift on earth. And our simple response to him is to love him and to serve him. But oftentimes when he asks us to love and to serve him, we got a problem with that. Kohelet says, undivided worshipers, when they say they're going to do something, they do it. And oh, by the way, in the Old Testament, um, it was not mandatory to make a vow. In other words, you don't have to make a vow before God in the Old Testament. But when you do make a vow, it says you need to fulfill it now. In fact, the priests who were in charge of the temple worship during that time, when you would make a vow, the priest will write it down. And then he will remind you of the thing that you had to do. Imagine if God did that to us. That he held a record against us to do the very thing that he has already commissioned us to do. But the thing about God, he doesn't. He is oftentimes trying to lead you to look more and more like his son. The second principle is this. It is better to make a promise than to keep. uh, It is better to not make a promise than to make a promise and not keep it. I think that's the hardest part. The reason why some of you all are still mad at someone who made a promise to you is that they the way they set it up is that you believe what they were saying they were going to do. Like, my brother, until this day, my father has been dead and gone for the last four years, hold on to a birthday card that he sent him and said he was on his way to come and celebrate his birthday, and he never showed up. But that birthday card is a symbol of trust. And because it was a symbol of trust to him, even till this day, he still hurts from it. He says, so don't make a promise, because if you do make a promise, if you don't do it, that's worse. And here's the last principle. Don't let your mouth make you a sinner out of you. Don't let your mouth make a sinner out of you. Oh, that one hurts right there. The reason why that one hurts is because when we rush, when we hurry, when we don't listen, the first thing we do is try to talk ourselves out of it or to talk ourselves into it. It's funny because Kohelet says, when you are not in control and when you don't recognize the God of heaven and earth, the first thing that you want to do is to put prefixes on swearing or put prefixes 
on your promise. Watch this. When someone says to you, I'm telling you the truth, before they tell you the truth, be very cautious of that. Right? When someone says to you, I put my mother on that, or my son on that, or my unborn child on that, they not telling you the truth. Well, when someone says to you, I swear on a stack of Bibles, run as far away from them as possible. He's saying because they are prefixing an untruth towards you, a vow towards you that they will not keep. In fact, do you know why people make vows and oath? Because all of us understand one single truth. None of us are truthful. Oh, that, I know. That, I'm in it too. Don't look at me like, Jerry, are you saying that? I'm a lie. None of us are truthful. That's why we fabricate the truth. Shoot. Old men like to tell old stories. Man, back in my day when I used to um, play basketball, I used to dunk without ever even having the ball in my hand. Is that basketball? Like, women do the same thing. How old are you? Huh? What, what you I'm, I'm 26. <laughs> then why are you getting a senior citizen discount? Like, it, it's like, it baffles me. <laughs> like, we get to this point where we, we, we even tell lies when we don't have to. Right? Like, man, yeah, I, you know. Shoot, I made this last year. Nobody even counting your money. We wouldn't even have known that you even had a job if you wouldn't have said anything. <laughs> Kohelet is saying be very mindful of people adding prefix. Therefore, do what Jesus told you to do. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. The way to safeguard the sincerity of your worship is to be transparent and honest with the God of the universe. That's how you safeguard it. You just simply said, that's not me. That's not me. And he says the last thing, and I think this is the last one. I won't spend no time on this one. He says, when you listen to God and you speak in a way that your yes is yes, and your no is no, watch this, he said, you will fear God. Undivided worshipers fear God. Those who are undivided worshipers reverence God, and they put him in a position that he stands all by himself. In fact, when I live and when you live with the reality that there is a God who is in heaven and he's in control, it causes us to understand that he takes our life as an open book. And when he looks at your life in all of its fullness, it baffles me or encourages me, watch this, that he's still interested in me. That he still accepts me. That he still calls me. That he still comforts me. That he still listens to me when my logic is illogical when I'm talking to him in my rants. That he still answers me even when I'm calling him at wee hours of the night. 
it still baffles me that God in all of his majesty would not just destroy the world and make it all over again, but he will pursue hostile people who don't listen to him, who wants to overtalk him, but all of a sudden he still is interested in you. When you understand who God is, you should be in awe of his majesty. You should be in awe of his reverence. You should be in awe of the things that he's willing to do. And when you get to that point, you become an undivided worshiper because you fear God. Let me say this from the pulpit, and this is just personal to DCC. Oftentimes when we walk in this building, we are so concerned about talking to one another. We're so concerned about who's here. We're so concerned about what people have on that we never get our hearts ready for worship. And then when the band comes on the stage, they're sitting here getting ready to usher us in into the presence of God, but we're still scrambling around because our attention is divided in so many different areas. What if? What if? as we have aligned our hearts with God throughout the entire week, when we do come to the place of corporate gathering and corporate worship, that our hearts are aligned, that our greetings to one another is with a holy kiss, but spurring one another on, let's go worship God. Because you know what? We do that at every sporting event that we are about. Hey, brother, shoot, they going to win today. Hey, brother, they going to do this today. Oh, brother, they going to do this. What if we did that in here? Hey, man, I got you today. Hey, let's pray today, man. Hey, God is this today. What if we spur one another on here? What will happen is people will begin to experience the person and work of Jesus Christ through you. And so as the worship team comes to the front and begins to worship, I have a couple of questions for you. Like every sermon that we have ended, there's always been questions. The first question is this. Do you listen well? Do you listen well? I almost put, do you listen well or do you speak more? But I'm just going to leave it at that. Do you listen well? The second one is this. In what ways might we be at risk of being quick with our mouths and hasty in our hearts before God? In what ways might we be at risk of being quick with our mouth, hasty in our hearts before God? And here's the last one. God is in heaven. Fear God. Why is it so easy to lose this perspective and attitude? God is in heaven. He's in control. Fear God. Why is it so easy to lose this perspective and its attitude. Let us worship. Thank you again for listening to Disciple City Church Podcast. Until we meet again, Shalom. Shalom.